But I have seen with my father, and you do not, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what, why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and a father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, answered I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and his, he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? And you do you make your and excuse me who do you make yourself out to be? If Jesus answered, "If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. And if I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. And I do not. But I do know Him, and I keep His word." Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading of your word this morning that it would bless you and benefit us. That, Father, we unfold these words this morning as we prepare our hearts for participating in an ordinance that you gave to us, the sacrament of, of your giving us this symbol of your body and blood, the covenant that you made with us that is one of renewal and one of rededication. 
that we recognize the truth that you told us, the cost and the blessing that we've been given. And so pray, I, pray, I pray, Father, this morning that as we hear these very difficult words coming from Jesus, that we ourselves would be encouraged, or if we do not know the truth, then we find ourselves troubled because we do not hear these words, and do they do not make sense to us. And so, Father, I pray that they would pray for wisdom and discernment and understanding and believe in you, Jesus. We pray, Father, that not only, not only us to believe, but for those who will hear this gospel at other times and at other places through other means, that, Father, you would bring a harvest to this church and to the churches of the Northeast who live in a very dark place. They live in a place where, Father, they need the gospel. So we pray that you would send out people to do the very work of broadcasters, people who spread the word, spread the seed. We pray this, Father, in your name. Amen. As we continue to look in this book of John's gospel, and especially chapter 7 and chapter 8 and leading into chapter 9, it's hard for me not to think of each week of, if you watch any series on TV, it says, now, last week's, what happened in last week's episode or in previous episodes of blank, blank. And we have to go backwards and really understand where this is all taking us or where it started because, you're, again, the context means everything here. And remember, Jesus is an, in, in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. He is, uh, this is a very high time. This is a very uh, festive time, a, a most enjoyable time for the people who pilgrimage to Jerusalem for this. He has said he is the bread of life. He has said if anybody, who, uh, anybody is thirsty, let them come to me because I will give them water to drink. And remember during that whole week of the festivities of the Feast of Tabernacles, the procession throughout the week, procession of pouring of uh, the uh, procession of the priests and the people uh, waving their uh, branches carrying their fruit of thanksgiving to God for provision as this is an agricultural marker for them of, uh, of, of thanksgiving, of gathering all the, of the uh, crops and all the fruit and everything coming in and thanking the Lord for that so they have these symbols. And then when they poured the water, as he went into the pool of Siloam, he, he came, the, high, the priest came and poured the water over the sacrifice and that's where Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, come to me. And it seemed at, this, at the pinnacle of that morning event when he poured up and the, the people were clamoring and, and, and rejoicing and, and, and maybe even a time of pausing when everybody was wanting to see this picture being poured out of, of, of John tells us it's the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, but the pouring out of cleansing and all the symbols of water in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament that we've been given we also see that, that another part of this festivity was the Feast of Lights that were going on at night when these four very high candelabras were lifted up and, and, and illuminated not only the temple but illuminated the city of Jerusalem that people could see it from far and wide and people were excited and this is where Jesus cries out 
to them, I am the light of the world. And so Jesus uses this period of time, uses this uh, feast, this holy day, uses it as an opportunity to show that he is the fulfillment of all of everything. He's the fulfillment of all the festivals, of all the holy days, the days set apart, of all the sacrifices. He is everything that they've hoped for and pointed to him. And he says, I am the light of the world. And we see this, this discourse going on of this time when, as I've said before, that Jesus is the light. And if he is the light, he has a job and can't help but be one who searches and illumines dark places. And so we see now the dark places of Jerusalem and the dark hearts of the Jews and the dark hearts of not only the Jews, which some people can say and some people have said, scholars, liberal scholars, people who, who look upon these and they say that these are incendiary words, these are anti-Semitic Words, these are words that speak against Jews, and so Jesus could have never said these things. But if we look them in the context and we understand what Jesus is saying, Jesus isn't only picking on the Jews, Jesus is picking, picking on everyone. Jesus is illuminating all of us. Though he, the recipients and the people who are listening are the Jews because, because he did first go to the Jews, and he does go to the, the people and the tribes of God's people to say the Messiah has come, here I am. And so he is illumining himself and uh, revealing himself to them. And they don't want anything to do with the, dark, with the light. They really like darkness because they think that they are already people of light to begin with. And Jesus, light that comes out just overwhelms them and exposes them for who they are, and we see this contention. In fact, this hatred and this bitterness, and you've heard me say in the last past several weeks when we talk about this, when we talk about Christ, when we bring up Jesus, it is a very difficult subject because there are people who think they know who Jesus is, but when Jesus is revealed for who he is, people don't like that Jesus. They either don't like him or they are drawn to him. So we see that there are some people being drawn to Christ, and we see that some people who should know Jesus is coming, know the Messiah is coming, can read the biblical markers that, that Jesus is laying out for them for fulfilling all the Old Testament as he points back to being Moses-like and being of the Exodus and in the wilderness and feeding the, the, the 5,000 men and everything that he's pointed to, pointing back to him. They're not getting it. And so we see this contention of Jesus. Now, even though they don't understand it, Jesus doesn't step back and he doesn't let off. In fact, we're, we're, these, these are really difficult words. I mean, Jesus is not trying to win any friends here. Calls them children of the devil. Calls them liars. I mean, this is no meek and mild. Jesus, as people understand, or they think they understand meek and mild Jesus. Jesus has very clearly, in the Gospel of John, declared his divinity, his deity, being a perfect man and being perfectly God. He's used the word, the intimate word of Yahweh in Greek, the ego, emi, 
I am, which as we can see again this week, totally blows the mind of everybody who hears them. But notice verse 30 when he says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now, we've heard this before. Remember Jesus says, remember John tells us there were many people who believed in Jesus and then all of a sudden Jesus started teachings and then in chapter 6, everybody departs. Everybody starts leaving because they love that Jesus. But wait a minute, Jesus, stop talking. We, we like who you are now. Stop telling us anymore. We don't want to know anymore about you. We like this guy. You're just, you're just making yourself unlikable now. And again, we need to be careful that the Jesus that we tell people about does exist in the Bible, and he's correct, not politically correct, but biblically correct. And we've got to make sure that he who says he is the I am is really the I am. And so we see now these people believed, and Jesus is now not taking their word for it that they believe. John tells us in his commentary that many people believed, and again, Jesus turns up that spotlight because he really wants to say, do you really believe? Now, that's, again, what I ask you and, and I expect myself to do is that when people talk, talk on spiritual terms, when people call themselves Christians, it is not, our, it is not something that we've been you know, on, on a mission from God to do but we've been called as God to be witnesses, as this book talks about being witnesses. Be, Jesus is, being, is, is on trial, and Jesus is holding everybody in the world on trial. Not only the Jews, but they should know. So they're wearing the jersey that they're God's people, and so Jesus is saying, how really committed are you to be on my team? And I do that with people. When people tell me they're Christians, it changes how I talk to them. Because it gets a little rougher. It gets a little bit more intense. It gets, I really want to know what they think. I want to ask people questions. Well, why are you a Christian? Who do you believe Jesus is? Not just to pass my litmus test, but to understand that they know who they are. And I've told you, people have been angry with me in churches when they've asked me questions about, or doing things in the church, about in a role, or asking for marriage, or baptisms of their children and stuff, and I ask them questions, they say, what's the 50 questions for? What's all these questions? I just want my kid baptized. I said, well, i got to know where you're coming from. I'm going to baptize your kid. Or you're going to be a member of this church, or you're going to be a leader in this church, or you're going to hold an office in this church. i got to understand where you're coming from. I really don't like you, Pastor Jim. The animosity, you can see the hair standing. And when they don't like you, then all of a sudden the family doesn't like you. And it trickles down. And it's happened in my own family that I've had to say no many times to people in my family that I'm not your mechanic. And I'm not the lawyer. And I'm not the electrician. I just don't come in your house and put up a box in your house. If you're asking me to do something, I'm held accountable by God for what I do. I just not having, it's nice to have some like me around. So Jesus turns the light up, folks. I mean, he really does here. Many believe. Okay, let me see how they really believe. And we can see it right here. Jesus starts, I mean, you know, he's not trying to make these people feel good. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, listen, let me tell you, 
If you abide in my word, if you, a word abide means to live. If we live, if we live and breathe, we find it precious. If we take it serious, if we embrace it, if we study, if we hunger for it, for God's word, he said, then you are truly my disciples. You are people who say that you are truly my followers. But too many people wear the jerseys of being Christians nowadays, and they're not even on Jesus' team, even though they think they are. And he says to them, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, he just turned up the notch. Because he's talking about, if you're not free, what's the opposite? Being a slave. So why are you asking me if I'm free or not? And that's when they said, wait a minute. We're the offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. Now, horizontally, you know that's bogus. <laughs> For hundreds of years, <laughs> they've been enslaved. They're enslaved now to some degree by the Romans. Egypt, Assyria, Babylonians, Persians, Greeks. They've been enslaved for a long time. They'd be stupid to say that they haven't been enslaved. So they can't mean, they can't mean horizontally that they've been enslaved with their lives. He says, how is it then that you say that you will, you, uh, you will become free? Jesus says, okay, let me explain it to you. You're going to think about this. Jesus has a lot of patience with these guys as well. He could have just walked away and saying, you idiots. But we would do that. But Jesus won't. And I know we always don't do that, but we just, after listening, 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 you just wonder how far you're going to get. Jesus, Jesus says here in verse 34, truly, truly, there's that, you know, take it to the bank statement. Amen, amen. Truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Now, remember, this sounds very reminiscent to what Paul taught, and we need to, we're going to go back and forth, so if you have your Bibles, or if you can write something down, these are, I've got some, you can see i got a lot of tags in my Bible here today, because we need to look at things, because you realize that, that this is not new stuff. What Jesus is teaching is not against just the, the, the Jews, it's biblical. If you throw out the Gospel of John, or if you throw out chapter 8 of the Gospel of John, or chapter 7 and 8, then you have to throw out the entire Bible because the entire Bible talks about the same things that Jesus is talking about. Turn with me to uh, Romans 6. Now Paul wrote this maybe a generation after Jesus' death, the resurrection of Christ. A generation, 25 years or so. Now, remember, John's gospel was written in the 90s. So, where did Paul get his understanding about to write what he's going to write in chapter 6? Well, evidently, Jesus had talked about it. And Jesus was taught it because John documented it for us. John wrote it down for us about being a slave to sin. Chapter 6. What shall we say then? The book of Romans are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were baptized, therefore, with a baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too must walk in a newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like the his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be bought, brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. For if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ has been raised from the dead. We will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For death he died, he died to sin once for all, that the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God, to Christ, to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present yourselves, your members to sin, as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but grace. Paul was writing about this and Paul got it from Jesus because here's John documenting, documenting for us this whole understanding of who, what it is, He's talking about one facet of it is that is that everybody who sins is a slave to sin. And Jesus is saying to the children of Abraham. Now he's attacking them, their pedigree. He's attacking their religion and he's attacking their morality. And when you attack someone or someone attacks you, what is your first response? Up come the elbows. Right? Or out comes the fist. Or out comes the veins. And out comes the self-justification. It happens to me. You know, Jim, you need Jesus. Who told me that? My mother. Who raised me in the Roman Catholic Church. And I've heard this many times. My mother said to me, Jim, you need Jesus. Ma, come on. I've been an altar boy for 12 years. Ma, I go to church. We've been going to church. I ride my bike and do the priest thing every morning in the summertime. Somebody he served mass, somebody had to be there, so I'd go. Now, isn't that worth some kudos? Isn't that worth something? Ma, what's the matter with you? We're, you know, what's the matter? You need Jesus. Then I'd get angry, and I'd feel, and I, as you can see, I justified my morality, I justified, you know, I know people worse than me. On a learning, on a curve, I, you know, I gotta make out all right. I gotta get a passing grade at least. Notice how this whole argument takes place. They're going. Jesus is going after their pedigree. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He says, "We're offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved." So what are they saying? By their bloodline, they're in like Flint. By their bloodline. Hey, you know, I'm Presbyterian. I don't have any worries. I got the creeds behind me. I got all, this, all these confessions behind me. What are you talking about? I don't know Jesus. 
Well, if you don't know Jesus, and as John, 1 John says, if you continue in sin, we understand who your father really is. Because those who are in Christ cannot continue to go on sinning. Now, again, you and I know that we are sinners, and we're going to continue in sin, but we can't accept that as an acceptable lifestyle for someone who calls themselves a believer and a follower of Christ. It's righteousness, it's perfection, it's obedience, it's everything that Jesus died for and lived for is what we are to strive for. So that's, even as sinners, we understand we're going to sin because folks, honestly, you've heard me say this before too, don't we really like sin? We really don't even like it sometimes. We love it. It feels good. It feels justifying. It's exhilarating. It's exciting. It's living on the edge. We justify, you know, should we, as Paul writes, should we go on sinning that grace may abound? And sometimes, folks, we play stupid theological games and we go, well, he, I'm sorry, Lord, I just had to do that. You know, you'll love me anyway. Jesus is going after these people who have a pedigree. But he's not only, I mean, we all have something in our, back, in our pocket that we want to throw back at somebody who accuses us of something. And this is what they're doing. We've never been born. Jesus says, I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. Now the Jews and the people who were seeds of Abraham thought that they were in like flint for the rest of their life for all eternity because they were seed of Abraham. And how can they be the seed of Abraham and ever worrying about their peace with God? They thought that they were in the house. And Jesus says this. He says, a slave, and he's calling them a slave because he calls them sinners. He's calling them sinners, and he says, you're a sin to slave, and you're a slave. You know what? Just because you're Abraham's kid, that makes no difference whatsoever because realize slaves don't ever live in that house forever. Only the son does. And he's telling them that they're not children of Abraham. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I know, he goes, I know that you're from the offspring of Abraham. He agrees with him. Yet you seek to kill me, he says, because my word finds no place in you. Now what's the truth? The truth is Jesus is explaining who he is. And they can't stand it. They don't like it. They want to make this Messiah and massage him any way they, they can because they've got to justify who they are. And that's, who we, that's what we do. And that's what other people do when we tell them about Jesus. As I told you, at the class reunion, I sat down talking to these people, and you could see them squirming in their seats at the bar when we were talking because I was telling them that, you know what, what you think, I know your background, and I know we've known each other for a long time, and you know and I know I, that the religion that we were living was just a religion and something that we have taken as a mosaic. We took a piece of this, and a piece of this, and a piece of Jesus, and a piece of God, and a piece of the Bible, and we made a mosaic, and it's beautiful, and that's, our, that's who Jesus is. That's our faith. And who wouldn't love that? And when I told them, God doesn't like that, they squirm. Jesus has got these guys stepping like they're on hot coals now. 
He goes, I speak of what I've seen my father, and you do not have heard, or you have not heard from the father. Now they said, verse 39, they answered him. Now this is, he goes, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. Now turn with me to Romans again, chapter 2. Verse 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew or a seed of Abraham who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward or physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit not by the letter, his praise is not from man, but from God. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying exactly what Jesus is saying. It has nothing to do about your bloodline. It has everything to do about faith. Turn with me to chapter 9 of Romans. Verse 6. It is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's turning on the light. And not all of the children of Abraham, because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise who are counted as offspring okay so we see jesus is now attacking their faith he attacked their bloodline now he's attacking their faith and he is saying they're saying we're in we understand religion we understand faith because abraham's our father it's just a matter of fact but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, and you can't stand the truth, the truth that's going to set you free from the bondage of sin that you live in. And now it gets even worse. Because now the retaliation goes from self-justifying their faith, as you can say, you now, verse 41, you are doing the works your father did. Now, if it wasn't what Abraham did, who is their father? Now, they get really all gussied up and get upset. Why? Because now we're saying something, he's attacking their origination, where they come from. And he says, they said to him, we were not born in sexual immorality. Now, what is that referring to? Well, they're answering Jesus' question, thinking that, He's saying, if, you don't, if you're telling me that Abraham's not my father, and I'm doing what the works of my father, because if I did what Abraham did, I'd be Abraham's child, but I'm not Abraham's child because you're telling me that I'm doing something wrong. Now I must be somebody else's father, and there he's accusing them of being someone else who they're not. And what are they saying to Jesus? Where did this all come from? Why are they saying you were born in immorality, sexual immorality? Because they know where Jesus came from. And the story has been hanging around for 30 years that Jesus is an illegitimate child because Mary was pregnant before he was married 
She was married to Joseph. They go all the way back for decades, and they bring that garbage up. We do that, don't we, folks? People do that. They've got the best database in their heart, in their mind, in their pocket about us. Family, anybody. If you correct somebody about one thing, the laundry list comes out. Everybody knows everything about you, and they remember it clearly. It was black and white, but now they're bringing it up in technicolor. They're bringing it up in perfect HD. They want you to know that we know everything about you. And Jesus, we know that you were born in sexual immorality. This is getting pretty low. You see the self-justification. You see how much they hated Jesus. He says, we even have one father. It's even God. And Jesus said to them, listen, if God were your father, you would love me. See, Jesus is putting that chasm. Now remember, remember the story of Lazarus. Lazarus dies. Rich man, poor man Lazarus dies. How great is that chasm? Jesus, the, the, Jesus tells that story. There's a great chasm here. Now the Jews were livid about this because what would a poor person like Lazarus be doing in hell next to this guy named an Abraham's child. How dare you tell a story about anyone of Abraham's seed ever suffering in Hades? Can't happen. He's a son of Abraham. He's guaranteed. He's a legacy. He's guaranteed. Guaranteed. They're livid about this, but this great chasm. Or Jesus talking about the, the great banquet, and all of a sudden having these strangers. Here's this banquet, and Jesus says, open the door, let them come in. Who are these people coming to this banquet? They shouldn't be sitting here. Only Abraham's children should be sitting here. How dare you? You sit and eat with sinners. And what does John the Baptist tell them? Listen, guys, if we wanted any children of Abraham... God could take a rock and make a child of Abraham. He could take one of those stones. You see, you see how Jesus is beating them at their game. And they think they got one up some Jesus, and Jesus is making their hole with the biggest backhoe in the world. He's digging them deeper and deeper and deeper. He says, if I were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I'm here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? It's because you can't stand the truth. A few good men. <laughs> you can't stand the truth. He says, you are the father, of, your father is the devil. Wow, I mean, Jesus, lighten up a little bit here. You really want these people to come to know you? Or does Jesus really want to harden them with the truth? Because you and I know, as I said last week, Plato, you take Plato out of a jar. And Plato is an, it, it's, it naturally dries up and is useless. But yet, God hardens their heart. Why? Because he pulls back grace and takes them out of the jar and he lets it be what it is, Plato, which turns to nothing but crumbling dust. And God preserves us so that we are pliable and that we can be molded and shaped and conformed to the image of Christ. He says, you're a father of the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning 
and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. <gasps> Boy, can you see the knife go in and him turning it and turning it and turning it and then pouring more acid on the wound as he goes along? Now, this is, there's no malice in Jesus. There's no darkness in Christ. There is no, there's no sin in Jesus. Jesus is a judge. Jesus is the light. He's exposing their hearts. And this is what happens when the light's turned on. We may not want this process to happen, but if we talked about who Jesus is, folks, it can't, hap it can't help. As you've heard me say, E.J. Young at Westminster, the bugs go to the light and the rats scatter when they turn on the light. He says, but because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Which is one of why he says, one of you convicts me of sin, Whoever hears of God, whoever is of God, hears the word of God. The reason why you can't take the truth is because you think that you're Abraham's child and that you are in with God and God can't help but love you because you're of Abraham's seed. And he says, so far from the truth. Then the Jews answer him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan? Now the slurs even get worse. Now he's the racial slurs are coming out. Now they're calling him a racial, they're calling him a Samaritan, which you and I know how the much love the Jews had for the Samaritans. And then he says, is, are we not right to call you a Samaritan? And are we, I mean, you know when you get desperate, you just start digging to the bottom, and you start scraping at the bottom of the barrel, just so you can throw something? Even if it's nothing, you just want to throw something because you're so angry at something? This is what they're doing. They're, they're, there's a hatred of Jesus. So you see... <laughs> These are the people who evidently, John said, believed. Now Jesus is exposing them, and now we're seeing that they're leaving in carloads because Jesus, the light, has truly come, and he says, let me expose your belief. This is not what we do. It's what the Spirit of God does. We need to let the Spirit of God, we don't need to dig into our bag because you know what, folks? We have dope on lots of people. Now, sometimes we don't know people and we can talk to them and we find out some information and we can throw it back in their face, but realize this is Jesus doing this. This is what the Holy Spirit does. We are instruments of God's grace. We, are, we, bring, we present the gospel to people. We represent who Christ is, but we need to be careful that we don't enjoy this process because it is fun winning an argument, isn't it? It's fun winning a fight. It's fun winning an argument. And boy, when you've got somebody reeling, you're talk, you've got this person in a vulnerable place. We should not be rejoicing in the fact that we're seeing someone's life crumbling before us. Or that we should get a hammer and start smashing it. Because you and I smashing it is ugly. When the Holy Spirit does it, it's glorious to watch. And then we say, as Isaiah, I'm a man of unclean lips, woe is me. And then the Lord comes and restores him. He goes, I don't have a demon. He goes, I'm not here to seek my own glory. There is one who will, and that's, and that's God. God's the one who's going to give me the glory because I seek his glory. But notice, this is big, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Well, that's what eternal life is, correct? When a person who is a believer and dies, they're not dead at all, are they? Really? Because if you have eternal life, there can't be a pause, can there? 
There isn't, oh yeah, well, they're dead for a little while. But there can never be a pause because it would not be eternal life, would it? So people who die in the Lord are truly passing on a journey from one place to another. People who don't know Christ are dead. They haven't passed anywhere. They're dead. They don't go to a better place. They don't have eternal life. And Jesus is saying, no one will ever, you'll never die. He says it in chapter 5. Paul says it, he just read it in chapter 6. You're never going to die. You're never going to see death. Now, as I said that one time from my, one of my coworkers at work said, if Jesus is taking that for you, then you have nothing to worry about. And how true of the lips of somebody who don't know, does not know Jesus, but sees the argument saying, if Jesus is taking that for you, Jim, then you've got nothing to worry about in life. You shouldn't be afraid of anything. Now, if that's not convicting, a worrywart as I am, a person that goes in like a sheet in the wind, up, down, up, down, up, down, and being a paisan, an Italian, my ups are ups and my downs are downs. This is big. And Jesus says, you will never see death. You're gonna, the bondage and the captivity and the slavery of sin has been taking care of Christ. Now, one last thing before we go to the Lord's Supper. Turn with me to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. Chapter 2, I believe it is. Let me see, I got it. Chapter 2, verse 14. And 15. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So, we not only are captive and to sin, we're not only slaves to sin, we're also in bondage and slavery to the evil one. This is what the writer of Hebrews tells us. And then, verse 15, and deliver all those through, through fear of death who were subject to lifelong slavery. So we are freed from the captivity of sin, we are freed from the captivity of the evil one, and we are now freed from the fear of dying. Because we don't die, folks. Now, that's easy to say. That's easy to say. You know, we tell people we aren't afraid because we've got Jesus. He's the best, you know, the best uh, travel agent we could ever have. You know, he stamped my, he paid my price. He paid for my price. My trip is taken care of. My passport's all stamped. It's all authentic. I have nothing to know about. I know my ship is going to get there someday. I have nothing to worry about. But there's still the fear. Is not, for some of us, some missionaries and some people just, we talked about the martyrs, gloriously die with unbelievable faith at the end. But he is telling us that we have nothing to fear, not Satan, not sin, and no longer death. And one testimony my, I've heard from somebody else in my family, which I find pretty amazing, is my brother, who's very fearful of dying, and everybody else dying in my family, said about me, he goes, he goes I just wish I had Jim's confidence about dying. 
Now, I don't know what I said to him. I don't know what it was, but he says, Jim just does not have a fear of dying. Now, I do. <laughs> I don't like the process of how it's going to happen or my loved ones. But folks, I mean, isn't this, isn't this where we stand here today that we don't know, you know, know that you can kill the body? The resurrection says to us that Jesus is, he says, next time you see him, we're going to be changed because we are going to be like him. I mean, isn't that what, isn't that what this says here? Then this is the freedom that we now have, that we don't have to worry about somebody taking our lives or dying. And then he goes on and he says, you are, are you greater than our father Abraham? Verse 53 in chapter nine, uh, 8 of John, who died and the prophets who died. And he, made, who he says, who, who do you think you are, Jesus? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me. But you have not known him. I know him. And if I were to say that I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. You know, Jesus keeps making them very well that they're liars. I do not know him, but I keep his word. I do, I, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father rejoiced at seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. How? We don't know. But in a sense of the scriptures gave him all the hope. Everything that God told him was pointing to the hope of the Messiah coming. And, and, and turn with me to uh, Galatians. I lied. I told you that was the end. I do have one more here. <laughs> Galatians chapter 3. You see how you have to have an understanding of the Bible to pull all these pieces together to make sure that it's a unit, to make sure that they're talking about the same thing, and it's glorious. Oh, foolish Gentile, uh, Galatians, excuse me, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you that only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you to do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, why? Because God said it. And he believed who God was, and when God said it, he believed it. Even though, in his body, he couldn't believe it to be true, that the promised son was going to come from his dead body and his wife's body it was counted to him as righteousness now know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of abraham and the scripture foreseeing that god now he's talking about the old testament and the scripture foreseeing that god would justify the gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to abraham saying in you shall all the nations be blessed and here is what Abraham believed. And so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is what Jesus is doing. He's doing it artfully. He's doing it skillfully. He's doing it because he's God. And he can, he can break and dissect someone's life like that. That's how it happens. 
we need to be very careful when we try to pick up that scalpel. Because we're not skillful as Jesus, by no means. This is why we need to wait for the Holy Spirit to do this. But we keep on turning that light on. And I told you, you can't help what's going to happen as long it's not you being a stupid idiot of how you present it and how you enjoy the process of seeing somebody's life fall apart and looking self-righteous, but allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you and through this word to then watch them come undone as Isaiah and God come along and bring healing to them by setting them free from sin, from their own bondage of sin, from Satan, and from ever thinking about dying. And this is where he says, to, you know, in verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And that's when they're ready to kill him because Jesus doesn't say, it's not only I preexisted, I'm God. And, and we can't get away from that fact at all. So, that's what this is, this meal, as meager as it is, this is what this is all about. It's, it's, it's portraying to us the gospel. Someone had to give a life. Someone had to live a life. Someone, someone lives and someone gives, and it's the same person, Jesus. He lives a life of perfect obedience, and he gives a life that fully satisfies. So when we eat and drink, we eat in a worthy fashion. Meaning that it ain't about you and me being worthy about anything, that we have been made worthy. We have been made and redeemed so that we may eat and drink this, always pointing to our dependency upon Christ. Our dependency upon who he is, our dependency not in our pedigree, not in our bloodline, not in our morality, not in our religion, because all of it is pretty sketchy at times. But Jesus is never sketchy. Jesus never, ever, ever, ever fails. He died on the cross, and you can't take that away. He rose from the dead, and you can't take that away. He ascended into heaven, and you can't take that away. All these are historical facts that, whether you want to believe it or not, really did happen. And that's what God accepts us as his children because of the work of Christ. So let's pray together. Dear God, our Father, I praise you and thank you for who you are. I thank you for this message today. I pray that, as always, you would be with us as we gather together to thank you for this word and also thank you for this meal. We pray, Father, that, as always, you would help us to understand the work of Christ in our lives. That, Father, that we would understand that we wear the name of Christ because it came at a great price, and we recognized that we were in great need, and you were the only one that could su supply that great need that we have. Someone to satisfy, someone to abundantly provide for us everything that we need to bring you glory. And so we thank you, Lord, and I pray that when we eat and we drink, we do it for your glory, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Turn with me in um, your, the insert.